On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Now, the month of October is here and, of course, Halloween is fast approaching. Whether you like fireworks or people knocking on your door who you've never met before, it's going to happen one way or the other. Now, today the world knows the name of Bram Stoker. He is, of course, associated with this time of the year because of a famous novel that he wrote. But in times past, the undisputed king of the Irish horror story was a man known as Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. What a great bit of pronunciation. Now our remake of one of his most celebrated works is appearing right now in Irish cinemas. And to join me is Donald Fallon to talk about Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu in Hidden Histories. Donald, first of all, welcome to the On The Record. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more pro-Halloween these days than I used to I be. I know, because, you like people uh, knocking on your door, don't you? <laughs> my, Saying, can our, I have some jelly, Our please? dog is 16 uh, and she is most definitely deaf. So, okay, yeah, she that's, doesn't, that's she handy. Doesn't, uh, she doesn't hear the fireworks anymore. But yeah, certainly it wasn't. And my dad was in the fire brigade and he's retired. Right. So it, it was never a day I particularly enjoyed. So you have a lot of reasons, yeah. deep psychological reasons. <laughs> in recent years, like I'm very, very okay. pro-Halloween. Well, let's talk a bit about the writers who are so associated with this time of the year. Um, Le Fanu, who's lesser known, there'll be a million people listening in who say, oh, well, I know all about Bram Stoker. Yeah, yeah. He's very celebrated and lots of people have gone to the Bram Stoker Festival, of course. But tell me, um, first of all, a little bit about where Le Fanu comes in and, and connections and discussions around Bram Stoker himself and yeah, so on. Yeah, people might know uh, Lefanu Road in, in, in Ballyfermot, the kind of connection between Ballyfermot and, and, and Chapel Lizard. And growing up around there, I kind of presumed he was some you know some French guy who died in 1798 or something. And then I later discovered this, this amazing kind of gothic horror writer. And I suppose we have to get Bram Stoker out of the way if we can uh, early on, because in this part of the world, the name that we associate with this school of literature is, of course, the Great Stoker. And look, Dracula... It was a peculiar tale for all kinds of reasons, but I think one thing that's very strange about Dracula was it only became a hit after Bram Stoker had passed. You know, in in his own lifetime, uh, he was best known. He wrote a biography of his his dear friend, the actor Sir Henry Irving. But when Stoker died in 1912, I mean, a lot of the the obituaries didn't even mention Dracula. And then, I suppose, typically enough, it arose from the dead uh, in the 1920s. There was Broadway. There was, you know, the emerging cinema was big into this tale. Uh, and, you know, you could say it began with Nosferatu and it's never really stopped. It's still going on. You know, any kid who watches Sesame Street uh, engages with Dracula or a spin-off from it. And, you know, the great Joseph O'Connor, he says, the movies fell for the Count, who had refused, who has refused to stay dead ever since, filmed dozens of times, selling tens of millions of copies in hundreds of languages, inspiring scores of imitators. Dracula has become the most successful supernatural novel in history. It's some boast, all right, but this tradition goes back a lot further. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't begin and it didn't end uh, with Bram Stoker, the Irish supernatural. So, yeah, Dracula has spawned more movies than any other tale in the genre. But the movie that's out now, and I'm really looking forward to going to see it during the week, Lies We Tell, uh, is a reimagining of a famous tale by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu, Uncle, Uncle Silas. And while Dracula commercially stands above all the others, I mean, this genre has ebbed and flowed uh, and it's worth noting there are kind of Irish supernatural writers that we might not immediately think of. You know, Oscar Wilde, mm-hmm. uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray is a, is a brilliant supernatural tale. So things don't necessarily have to go bump in the night to qualify as a supernatural story. But Lefanu was just the, the, the king, if you will, uh, let, of this genre. Yeah, let's get into him personally. I, I'm guessing it's a Hugo no name. You know, we, obviously the Latouches and Sean Lamas, of course. Yeah, but outside name. of that, I don't know a whole lot about born, him. Born in Lower Dominic Street, 1814, son of a clergyman and exotic blood, Huguenot stock. And they're basically French Protestants in exile, you know, and, and their contribution to Irish life is extraordinary. The street that we're currently sitting on, 
is Diggs Lane. I mean, that's part of the story. Lamas, Beckett, Latouche, Dolier, Fumbly, Lefanu, all part of this kind of extraordinary migrant dimension of you know the development of this city and, and, and the Huguenot blood that's in it. So yeah, his dad was chaplain at the Royal Hibernian School within the Phoenix Park. Uh, and that is a landscape that really captivated him. And he sets a lot of his stories in Chapel Lizard. I mean, they joke that Chapel Lizard is the most haunted village uh, in Ireland. And anyone that passes through it, there's that famous house by the churchyard. It's quite an eerie structure. And it's the setting of one of, of, one of Lefanu's uh, finest, finest horror, horror stories. So, yeah, his Dublin, I suppose, is that world, that kind of forgotten world beyond the Phoenix Park, part of Dublin, but beyond it as well. Now, his form of writing, he seems to be very psychological from the little bits I've seen of him and particularly kind of um, surrealist in, in that sense. Just tell us a little bit about the kind of writing we're getting with him. Yeah, he, he kind of toys with our own imagination and he drags things out. So it's not shock horror, shock horror, shock horror. It's psychological, as you put it so well. So green tea. We have a, a demonic character, a monkey, nonetheless, who only the protagonist can see. Right. And, you know, he <laughs> begins to think he's, he's going mad. And that actually remains a steadfast theme of a lot of horror writing and horror movies uh, in recent times. The idea that there is something there that no one else can see and which is slowly driving uh, a protagonist mad. You know, he writes, its eyes were never off me. I have never lost sight of it except in my They're sleep. They're not called the All Blacks, no. No, <laughs> light or dark, day or night, since it came here, excepting when it withdraws for some weeks at a time, unaccountably, and then returns. And I think in a genre where people were increasingly just trying to shock, 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 piling horror upon horror, Lefanu instead, he drew on suspense. And there's nothing as frightening as suspense. You know, when you go to see a horror movie and nothing's really happening, that can be more frightening, really, than, than a, a, sh- a shock a minute. And one critic later had a, a great uh, line on Lefanu, his ghosts are what I take to be the most disquieting of all, the ghosts that can be justified, blobs of the unconscious that have floated up to the surface of the mind. This no man's land, if you will. Yeah, sort of maroon there. You know, what's really interesting is, well, he, he pushes some interesting taboo subjects, certainly of further time, and one of those is a lesbian vampire. <laughs> yeah, Carmilla. Uh, Carmilla is a novella that predates Dracula by a quarter of a century. No doubt influenced it. It's set in an old castle, supernatural figure. You know, all the essentials, really, uh, of the genre. But it's about a young woman preyed upon by a female vampire and a relationship blossoms between vampire and victim. And I mean, I don't know how he got away with it. You know, with gloating eyes, she drew me to her and her hot lips travelled along my cheek in kisses and she would whisper almost in sobs, you are mine, you shall be mine, you and I are one forever. I mean, that's the kind of, that's like an Alan Shatter novel, you know. That's the, the kind <laughs> that's of That's not stuff. Stevie enough, yeah. <laughs> Shatter-esque. In the, in the 1930s, that mightn't have got by the Irish censor. You know, the censorship mm. of publications board might have pulled that one. But yeah, when Carmilla later was adapted for the big screen, actually after Dracula, it's probably the Irish supernatural story that has most been taken on uh, by, by, the, by the film industry. The kind of lesbian undertones of it all were significantly cut back, uh, if not removed entirely. But it's a, it's a pretty famous work too. Yeah, and, and you can thread through Carmilla into Dracula. You can see direct connections, can you? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're really guilty in this town of, of trying to invent connections between Bram Stoker and, and, and Dublin. You know, the old Dublin urban myth that Dracula comes from Drucola or bad blood. But actually, what, what's, what's truer is that you find the influence of all these earlier books uh, on the way he writes. So it's all there. You know, even the fact that the narrative frame of Dracula is quite similar to Carmilla, first person accounts uh, from from the victims. So this Irish literary tradition, I mean, we don't, ha- we don't know if Bram Stoker ever went down into the vaults of St. Mickens and looked at the mummies. We just speculate that he might have. But we know for a fact that he read books like Carmilla and we know for a fact that they shaped him and his, and his world. 
Now, he reminds me a little bit of, of, of a personal uh, personality, a sort of a John Banville of the 19th century, you know, <laughs> um, sort of a rather austere character, both uh, in, in appearance and just uh, sort of acerbic comments and all that. And he was a well-known publisher and editor and kind of a man about town uh, in Dublin, but was very reclusive. Yeah, he was a um, publisher, editor, deeply conservative, actually kind of in political outlook. But I mean, Ireland was changing rapidly uh, by the time of his death in the, in the 1870s. And in the latter stages of life, he was kind of quite reclusive. He kind of fades into the into the shadows behind his own door at Merrion Square. And that earns him this brilliant nickname. They call him in Dublin, uh, the Invisible Prince, which is just brilliant. You know, he's no longer seen walking the streets. So uh, there's a plaque on his, his uh, resting place in Mount Jerome. It's a really creepy, mad cemetery. You ever walk mm, around Mount Jerome? Yeah, I have been Like Glasnevin yeah. is like, you know, here's all the people who died yeah, for Ireland. Yeah, very celebrated people. Uh, yeah. Mount Jerome, it's much more austere. You know, you have mm. these very Victorian headstones. And there's a lovely plaque on his resting place, Dublin's Invisible Prince. It's a great, it's a great little epitaph. Yeah, it's great. Now, we, we do talk earlier on about Bram Stoker. I mentioned the festival. I could have sworn it was on about three weeks ago, but you're telling me it's actually yeah, rolling around yet again. Where does time go? Where does time go? It's in its 11th year. Somehow, the 11th year of the Bram Stoker Festival. And I'm doing a live show at it in the very historic Trinity College, you know, the Graduates Memorial Building. That's where mm-hmm. Bram was a member of the the, the numerous societies uh, on the 28th of this month with tickets from bramstokerfestival.com. So I wanted to do something different, uh, pull in, you know, the great actor, Cathy Rose O'Brien and Brian Showers, who writes a lot about this kind of tradition. And we're going to call it Bram and Beyond. You know, <laughs> look at all these great spooky Irish writers like Sheridan Lefanu uh, and others. So yeah, a perfect place for a good scare. Uh, right before Halloween. Brilliant. Oh, it's just such great timing. You know, you're, you just have a huge appetite for it around this time of the year. That indeed is it, Donald, would you believe? Um, you are the final yeah. guest on this show. Drum roll, etc. Regrets. I've had <laughs> a few, Regrets. but Don't again, too many to mention. <laughs> the programme's meant to be different. We were meant to be having a, a celebratory moment with the Irish rugby team. That didn't happen, but let uh, us park that aside. As I said, um, On the Record comes to an end today, as you will have known. It will be replaced by the Anton Savage show at this time. Well, not this time, but from 11 to 1 next week. And I think in our conversations, Donald, you've really illuminated a whole range of not just history, but parts of Irish society that are neglected, historical. Historically, the culture, the city of Dublin in particular comes through very, very strongly in all the contributions you've made. And you've you've warmed our spirits up from Bram Stoker to Le Fanu and all in between. The diversity of your material, I think, is... Uh, let's not say too much about it, but you've kind of really fully spanned all the subjects that this great city has produced. Rebellion, undying spirit and unity. And you've really been uh, very central to shaping great. this programme and the contours of the programme. So on behalf of the station, I'd really genuinely... Great. And all the presenters who've sat opposite over the last few years, I'd like to really extend... Great yeah, it's been like, it's been like a, sometimes like a Liz Trust cabinet, you know, everything changes. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> this is the last show, I can't get back at that one, you know. I don't have enough time to do that. And that indeed, as I said, is the last ever edition of On The Record. It's been a wonderful programme. My involvement has been in and out, Liz Trust-like, but it's been really enjoyable to do it. Uh, all the other presenters as well. We have a whole range, probably a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand contributors have all brought their own unique insights when they've come in. We've also had um, John Byrne on research who's done a great job, Eva Brain on production, and all the people behind the scenes, including Hugo De Silva, Scott on sound as well. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.